Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. In Matthew chapter 15, it says this, beginning at verse 1, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Hmm. Tradition. How many traditions have come up to us today that really aren't biblical? And how many traditions came up in the history of the church that created such turmoil, even violence, murder, death, that never were biblical? How many times do you hear people say things like, well, Christians did X and Christians did Y? And that means that the Bible isn't true or that Christianity can't be true. As if because Christians have done wrong things, somehow the Bible is false. Of course, the Bible predicts that we will do wrong things. In fact, that's why we need a Savior. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need a Savior. So what do we do about the very dark history that we see in Christianity? And how does that relate to us today? Well, my friend, the real Indiana Jones, Dr. Bob Cornuke, is on with me today because he's written a brand new book about traditions, church traditions. The book is called Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions, and it's a very captivating, often startling expose filled with historical intrigue that you're going to want to get. And in fact, uh, Bob's going to tell us a little bit about us here. And for those of you that don't know, Bob and I have worked together for many years now. We've been on uh, several uh, trips together. In fact, one of the trips we took back in 2000 and, gee, when was this now? 2010, we went kind of across Europe uh, starting the research for this book on traditions. Bob was just starting it at the time, and now it's finally arrived here eight years later. Bob has also gone after some monumental archaeological discoveries. He's been on Noah's Ark expeditions. He's written books on Noah's Ark, Mount Sinai. In fact, there's going to be a movie made about his uh, his uh, expedition into Saudi Arabia that I'll let, uh, I'll let him tell you about it with regard to looking for the real Mount Sinai. He's also uh, sought to find the real Ark of the Covenant. Those of you who don't read the Bible, that's from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Also, he's uh, looked for uh, the shipwreck of Paul, Paul's, uh, or the, the anchors of Paul's shipwreck, I should say, off Malta. And uh, he's even investigated the location of the temple uh, over there in Jerusalem. So it's always fun having my friend Bob Cornuck on. Bob, how you doing? Great, Frank. It's great to be with you, as always. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, this new book on traditions has got my attention here. Because a lot of times, I mean, here we are 2,000 years removed from the, the, the real grounding of our faith, the resurrection and the apostles and the teachings of the apostles. Although a lot has been, a lot of behavior that isn't biblical has 
has actually gone on for the past 2,000 years, all in the name of Christianity, very often in the name of Christianity, but it doesn't, doesn't really appear to be Christian behavior. So before we get into some of the details, tell me, how did you come to write a book about church traditions? Why did you want to do this? Well, it seemed like uh, everything that I had researched relating to lost locations in the Bible, I've been doing this for about 30 years, uh, as, as I got really into, uh, underneath the surface, and I just dug deep into the bowels of these subjects, I found that each one of them um, was just laden with, with false traditions. And the traditions has really been the wind that pushed us in the wrong direction. For instance, you know, um, the Bible says in Galatians 4.25 that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. Well, people have been accepting that the... Uh, that Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula. There's even it's even called the Sinai Peninsula because that's where Mount Sinai supposedly is. Queen Helena anointed that in the fourth century. She was a fortune teller and a mystic sort of person, and, and the, mother of, the mother of Constantine yeah. was the Emperor of Rome. But she went over there and she picked a mountain, and they said, "No, no, we don't like that one." Then she picked another one. They said, "Okay, that's it. That's going to be the real <laughs> Mount Sinai." So they put the pin in the map, and that's that's been what has really anchored that being the place of the real Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, where they made the Ark of the Covenant and whatnot. So, but Scripture says in Galatians 4.25, Mount Sinai is in Arabia. It also says in Scripture that uh, Moses met God at the burning bush at Mount Sinai in the ancient land of Midian or Madian. Well, that's in the northwest quadrant of Saudi Arabia. So historians such as Flavius Josephus, Demetrius, and Philo from 250 B.C. have said Mount Sinai is in the in Arabia. So why are we looking in the Sinai Peninsula? Because tradition is such a strong pull. It's the big boulder in the road when we try to get to truth. So as I started to go through these other projects that I was involved in, let's say Noah's Ark or the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and Paul Shipwreck, all of them had strong ancient traditions, which seemed to be counter to what the Bible was literally saying. So I started going deeper and started saying, well, how did these traditions get started? And I started to go into the church history, and I found out that there is also a lot, there are also a lot of traditions which just take us away from truth. And and I don't care about the, the, the small things in traditions, you know, how we worship, you know, if you like candles, you do this, or choir, dress, or all that, all that stuff is just not, you know, a non-issue. But for me, the real issue is, and I take real offense to, is when the Scripture is really talking about salvation, and we come up and manufacture, some cleric in the Middle Ages manufactured this money-making scheme to get control, power, and wealth with the Church, and it goes against what Scripture is saying uh, about salvation. You know, it diminishes the act on the cross. And so that's when, that's the axe that needs to be laid to the root. At that point, you need to say, stop, no more. And what it does is it angers people because their traditions become so cherished. It becomes so tribal. It becomes so patriotic. My church says this. My church is the only true church. So whatever the church says, the church says, is the way that we need to follow. That's the weather thing. Well, no, we need to follow what the Bible says. A lot of people say, well, it's really important that we know what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what you think the Bible says. You need to go back and find out what the original intent of the authors is. That's the important thing. 
and then determine what truth is based on Scripture as the final mediator, arbitrator, plumb line, compass, and all this. Now, you, you write in the book that, uh, and the book, again, is called Tradition by Bob Cornuke, C-O-R-N-U-K-E. Uh, Bob, you write in the book that, I mean, I was just reading earlier today that I think you mentioned that several people were killed back in the Middle Ages because they taught their children how to memorize the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer in English rather than Latin. And they were killed for that. Now, where does that come from? Where, where does a tradition like that come from or a command like that come from? Well, it, it, you know, the, the church in the Middle Ages, and of course, let's just, you know, let the cat out of the bag. We're, we're, we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church at this time. and Which and was the only the real church. The, the, yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 pardon me? That's the only real organized church at the time, right? The, the Reformation came out of all of this, obviously. Right. Um, right. From about the fourth century on, they yeah. really had the football. So they, they had it they had it for, for a very long time, up until about well, the 1500s, and then the Reformation came about. So the bulk of our Christian history is centered on the Catholic Church. So that's why it demands so much more verbiage in the book. Not because I have a slant against the Catholic Church, I do not. Because there's Protestants that have blood on their their mm-hmm. they you know their their roots were watered with blood of victims as well, and we can get into that topic too. Because it's a very violent time then, very superstitious time, and actually the Catholic Church felt that they were purging wrong teaching. Well, hold the thought, Bob. We're going to come back to it. We're coming up to a hard break. We're going to hear more about that from my friend Dr. Bob Cornuke and his new book, Tradition. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. You nullify the Word of God on account of your tradition, said Jesus. That obviously was done quite a bit in church history. It may be even being done now to a certain extent. How do we recognize these church traditions that aren't biblical or our own beliefs that aren't biblical and uh, get rid of them and return to the truth? That's what the book Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions by my friend Bob Cornuke tries to do. And we're talking to Bob uh, right now. Now, Bob, uh, just before the break, uh, we were talking about some very dark period in church history when people were actually killed for having the wrong beliefs. How did how did that come out of the New Testament? It doesn't seem like it would come out of the New Testament that you've got you've got people from authoritarian positions in the church basically holding heresy trials and killing people who don't hold orthodox beliefs. How does that come out of New Testament doctrine? Well, well, well. The the real logic comes. You've got to go back to the Book of Exodus, where they, you know, killed all the Midianites, and so they justified right. and said, "Well, Scripture is telling us that you need to purge, you need to clean out, you need to you need to clear clear out the storeroom of all the bad apples." And so the bad apples were those who were didn't agree with what the Church says, the Catholic Church said. So they really rationalized, saying, "We are doing a good thing when we're burning someone at the stake. We're actually 
doing a good thing. So why did they burn him? Because they felt that that if they tied someone up to to a to a stake and they burned them, they they would taste. Uh, they 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 have a preemptive taste of hell fire, so they would re- recant and know what hell was like. So they actually felt that they were doing them a good thing by burning at the stake. Now we're talking about numbers of people during the Inquisition and during all that all, all that killing time was um, in, in the millions. We're talking about a lot of people. Well, they say it was in the millions. Whole families killed wholesale. They they say it was in the millions, but I think you also point out in your book that some some historians have scaled that back quite a bit. Not to minimize the horror of it, I'm just saying it probably wasn't that much as you point out in the book. Correct. Well, we we if that's just in the Spanish Inquisitions that that we scaled back the numbers, but if you really extrapolated out all the way up into Holland and you're still taking to England, you're taking to France with the Cathars. You, you are talking about a monstrous number that would exceed a million people. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And the idea then was kind of a leftover from the Old Testament, because even in the Old Testament, you see uh, kill the Canaanites, move them out of the land, drive them out of the land, it says. But then there's a period even in in uh, uh, Israel's history where God says you need to kill these Israelites who have uh, ventured away from the truth. After they were worshiping the golden calf, God said these people need to die. And so you're saying that there were people in the church in the Middle Ages actually using Old Testament uh, descriptions as prescriptions right. for the New Testament. Would that be fair to say? Or for, or for the New that Testament period? That would be period. fair to say. But then, okay. but then when, let's say we take James and John when they're going into Samaria and they're saying, uh, you know, they're saying, hey, Jesus, this, this, these people, you know, bring down the hellfire of Elijah on them. You know, burn them all and kill them. Jesus mm. says, wait, wait, wait. No, no. That's not the spirit. We didn't come to destroy the people. We came to save the people. So we have it. We have a whole different complexion. But in the but you see the whole thing comes down to who has the right to say what is truth, right? And if it comes through the church, an organized body of men, and not through the the lens of scripture, that's when you get the problem. Because if you have a, a church with an agenda, you're not getting pure truth there. You're getting truth that's strained through the meat grinder of what their perceived truth would be. And a lot of that times, that truth has a benefit financially to the power and to the control of the church. And then that's really wrong. We need to put everything under what the, the, uh, um, uh, Jesus and, 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 and the disciples said, you know, uh, my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, similar background to you, you, you were a homicide detective as well. He said, whenever he investigates a murder or even any crime, there's only three possible motives for that murder or crime or some combination of the three sex, money, or power, relationships, finances, or just power and pride. And that actually, those three motivations are universal among humanity everywhere, whether they're, they're church leaders or not. And so we need to be aware, whether they're religious institutions or secular institutions, we are a fallen people that need the Holy Spirit to, to guide us uh, through difficulty and to guide us away from the temptations of sex, money, and power. And yet we're not always successful doing that. That's why these people who claim to be Christians in the Middle Ages did some awful things. And there are people even today who claim to be Christians doing some awful things. In fact, sometimes we do some awful things. Uh, and uh, 
we need to always get back to the word and get back to the spirit to try and uh, use the Holy Spirit to help us stay away from these temptations and uh, become more like Christ rather than more like the world. And that's what this book tradition is a good reminder uh, to, to show people that despite what people may claim, um, they may claim to be Christians, but their fruits don't always line up with Christianity. It also, I think, points out, Bob, that uh, theology is quite important. If you're confusing Old Testament descriptions and taking them as New, New Testament prescriptions, you're going to do some horrific things, uh, as the Middle Age uh, church had done. Uh, let me ask you another question. There's, there's another tradition, and this is particularly among Roman Catholics, purgatory. Uh, Protestants know nothing of this issue of purgatory. Does the Bible speak of purgatory? No, no, there's nothing in the Bible pertaining to purgatory. So where does it come from? Um, well, it, 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 it really comes from uh, this, 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 this ancient belief that, that, you need to, that, that, that you need to have more refining. Um, you know, you're, you're going through this refining process while, while you're, you're, you're not going to hell I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to heaven because um, you're just not good enough. Uh, we, all, we all die within our sins, and so we're really not good enough. So there's, there's another level that you need to go through, another holding pattern you need to go through before you get into heaven, and that is called purgatory. It's the, hell, it's the purging hellfires of purgatory. And then, and then the church took that one step further. You know, that's sort of a 5th, 6th century philosophy. Then the church took that one step further and said, well, wait a second, if you're in purgatory, uh, there is a way to get out of purgatory, and that is, and, and that is doing, you know, penance, and that is uh, doing in, in indulgences where you take and you pay money, um, you do special things for the church, you, you, can get, you can get yourself out of this purgatory situation, this, this holding pattern, and we don't know how many years it is, whether it's 10 years or 10 million years. We don't know where it is. We, you know, they, they just say it's a place. And so uh, today you'll find women that are going and giving money to the church and saying, I want to get my husband out of purgatory. So they'll pay a lot of money. I don't want, I don't want Harold you know, going through the hellfires of purgatory. The problem is they don't even know when he's out of purgatory. So they could be paying money and the guy could already be out of purgatory according to the church. So um, this is the problem. See, it really goes back to during, during the old German nobles uh, that they would be, these young knights would be thrown in jail. The fathers would go and say, hey, I want to get my son out of jail. You know, he was an idiot. He did wrong. But, okay, I just want to get him out of jail, so I'll give you a lot of money. And so they said, great, we get money. Uh, we get your, your guy out of your, your, your son out of jail. We don't have to take care of him. So every, it's a win-win for everybody. When the church says, wait a second, I can now sell. Uh, I can get these people out of purgatory with money. I can get them out of the prison of purgatory with money. And so that's what we have today, and even even the Pope, uh, one of the the, the, the the prior Pope to this Pope said, "Hey, if you go on Twitter, uh, you can uh, you can get time out of purgatory if you, if you sign up on Twitter." So that's how ridiculous it gets. And there's people that are raising millions of dollars to get people out of purgatory today. Organizations, so it it's really not from the Scripture, and it really is an offense to Christ. Christ, it, he died once and for all for our sins. That that was the ultimate punishment. The only solvent that could wash away all sins 
is the blood of Christ. It's the only collateral we need to get into heaven. You don't need an extra step and an extra layer. We, we don't need to diminish what Christ did on the cross by saying that we need to have this purgatory, which is totally, totally non-biblical. But if you do not have purgatory, I'm just going to step on a lot of toes, toes. The, the Catholic Church would implode today financially if they didn't have purgatory. You have to have that for the system to work. Hmm. Well, I'm, we're going to get some emails on that, Bob, but <laughs> let's see. Well, I, I think it's a general view, even among Protestants, unfortunately, that if I do good, God loves me more and owes me. And if I do bad, then God loves me less and I could get into trouble. And that's really Old Covenant thinking, because the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, talks about if 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 you obey me, then God will bless us, or God will bless the nation, God will bless me. Uh, and we take that thinking and we move it into the New Covenant, where in the New Covenant, God, everything is by grace. You just trust Christ for what he's done, and if you trust for, you trust him for what he's done, then everything is taken care of. Now, it's not a license to go out and sin. Paul makes that very clear. In fact, I was listening to Galatians this morning. In Galatians chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, Paul says something like, if righteousness could be acquired by the law, then Christ died in vain. I mean, why would God send his only son to die a brutal death if you could get to heaven any other way? If you could earn brownie points with God, you can't earn brownie points with God. God owns everything. He owes us nothing. His salvation comes by grace. And these traditions, Bob Cornuke, which you point out in your book, and it's not just Catholic traditions, there are Protestant traditions as well. These traditions, when they nullify the word of God, when they nullify salvation, they're a big problem. Yeah, there's, it says in Colossians 2, 8, it says, and, I, and I really emphasize this, it says, beware lest anyone cheat you, which is, which is pretty much steal from you. Uh, through philosophy, which is the love of wisdom, man's wisdom, empty deceit according to tr- tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. Hmm. We need to follow and, and not follow traditions. Tradition is, is the, the strongest, the strongest, strongest um, statement in, in, is, in the New Testament is Galatians 1.8, where it says, but, you, but through we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed a curse so if we yeah. preach anything other than what what jesus and the apostles says we need to be accursed isn't that that's a frightening that's a frightening thing that we that, that we're faced with is if we change anything so we need to really go back and find out what the authors what 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 is the intent of the authors in scripture are trying to say to us and not rely on some self-serving opinion from the Middle Ages of somebody is making a decision, for instance, making the Pope infallible, when, when the Bible says the only fallible person is Jesus. And so how can you say that? Well, you just make a proclamation in Vatican I, and they had a, they had a vote. Let's talk more about it after the break, Bob, because we're coming up to a hard break again. The book is called Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions. I'm Frank Turek. His name is Bob Cornuke. We're back with him in two. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. How many church traditions are you following that aren't biblical? You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention a couple of events coming up. I'm going to be at the University of Maryland at Baltimore this Monday night. And then the next night at the university or Towson University, not far in the same general area. So Monday night, Tuesday night, if you're in the area, love to see you there. I know at the Towson event, we're reserving seats for students first. So if you want to come to that, be advised, you might not get in if we have enough students. But uh, if all the students don't fill the seats, then it's open to the general public. Baltimore is open to anybody, University of Maryland at Baltimore. So this Monday night. And this Tuesday night, and if you're not in the area and you can't get there, you can watch it streaming live on our website, crossexamine.org, and also uh, on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org and DR Frank Turek, our Facebook pages. So check those out. And Bob and I, my guest today, Dr. Bob Cornuke, are going to be at the Spyglass Conference next weekend. It begins Thursday, October 25th, and runs through Saturday, October 27th. That's out in Colorado Springs. And, uh, Bob, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. I know Josh McDowell's going to be there. Who else do you know is going to be at this uh, conference? Uh, Jason Elam, the great uh, kicker, the Christian guy for, for the Broncos, kicked yep. the longest field goal in history at one time. And then it was, I think that record was broken recently. But yep. a great. He, he scored more points for the Broncos than anyone else. So that's kind of, kind of a neat yep. guy, and he'll be there. He'll be there. Bill Federer. I don't know if you guys have heard of Bill Federer. The guy is an absolute genius when it comes to uh, church history and U.S. history. Uh, Bill Federer will be there. Um, Joel Richardson will be there. Who else am I looking at? Ron Matson. Uh, there's a lot of folks going to be there. Go to our website, crossexamine.org, and uh, click on events. You'll see Frank Turek calendar there. And it's the Spyglass Conference. Uh, and then the following weekend, I'm going to be out in, where am I going to be? <laughs> I'm going to be in Florida at uh, the Bayside uh, Conference, or Bayside Community Church, I believe it is. I'll, in fact, I'll, I'll check the exact location during the break and tell you on the next break. But I'll be down in Florida after that. So we've got uh, University of Maryland, Towson University, and uh, Colorado Springs Spyglass Conference this week, next week down in Florida uh, so more on that a little bit later. Let me go back to my friend Bob Cornuke, his new book, Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions. Now, we were just finishing our conversation or right in the middle of a conversation, Bob, talking about papal infallibility. And you talked about Vatican I. Just just give us two minutes on Vatican I. What's that about? Well, it was held uh, in, in the, it was held in, held in July of 1870. And the day before the vote, uh, there was 25 bishops that, that opposed it, said, wait a second, you can't have a guy be infallible. This is it's not scriptural. And so most of those men were either uh, kicked out uh, from being bishops that, that opposed, or they were taken their their visas were taken away. But out of the, out of the, uh, all the votes, there was only 535 yes votes for infallibility. 
of the popes and bishops and the people were there. But there was ten, there was 1,084 original members entitled to vote. So less than half of them voted yes for this, yet it passed. And so we have now the pope is infallible. And that was only recently, since 1870. But so, he's infallible um, not not all the time. It's just when he speaks ex cathedra, it's called, right? I mean, there's very few times in, that he, he speaks in, uh, in, in that the chair, manner. But, but there have been popes throughout history that have made huge, huge mistakes in, in okay. that area. So um, it's, it, it's suspect. You know, I, now, what do you think I'm the motivation for that was? Did that have anything to do with Darwin at the time? Because that's what, 10 years no. after Darwin releases his book that may have challenged what p- many people thought was the biblical view of the origin of life? Um, what was that? The, no, it, the... it, it, it really came down from the Isidorian Decretals, which gave, uh, you know, huge sweeping uh, rights to the popes and also, uh, you know, suggested their infallibility. But the, if, if you look in the, in the, in the Catholic Bible, go way at the bottom, small little print with an asterisk, it says, this was a false document, the false decretal shown to be false in the 1440s. But this was really the document that was still being used, even though it was found to be a fraud, even said to be a fraud in the Catholic Church. This was one of the basic foundations which was used to show the infallibility of the Pope, along with the donation of Constantine, was used also. And that is a false document also that comes to us. Uh, so there are forged documents or, or false documents in the history of the Church that led people later to suggest that the Pope was infallible? Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the Isidorian Decree was found to be false, I think it was 1440, by a guy named Lorenzo, who said, look, this is false, but yet... And, and even the Catholic Church, if you want to look in the Catholic Encyclopedia, you'll say way in the bottom, you'll see a small thing saying these are known as the fraudulent documents, but yet they were still used to prop up the, the, this notion of infallibility. Hmm. So these are the kind of things. From being an ex-policeman, you, you need to have—you see, evidence isn't proof. It's the proper interpretation of the evidence that is the proof. So you have a false in, in, if you have a false understanding of what truth originally is, the root of church, you can go anywhere and stray anywhere, and that's what they, now I'm going to talk this about the Catholic Church. They are amazing. They, they, they created hospitals, universities, they've done so much in history. Today they do so much to help the world. My best friends are Catholic, wonderful, wonderful people. But it's the organization later on in, in the Middle Ages to get money, power and control went off the, the 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 wheels went off the track and they went into the weeds and so that's what I have a problem with not the yeah. catholic people but the catholic ancient church right right and the protestants have had difficulty as well i mean i think you have some in your book about john calvin he he was no choir boy was he no john john calvin there was a guy that put this letter on and here's here's a reformer puts his letter on on his pulpit and says hey i i disagree with you and they took this guy tortured him for a month and then drove nails through his feet, and then decapitated him. This was this was uh, uh, Calvin's approval. Yeah, this is Calvin. Yes, he was right there. Yeah, this hmm. see this. I'm I'm saying that the, there, there's a lot of reform. You know, Martin Luther hated the Jews, wished yeah. them all to have died, wanted to take away all their lands, take away all their all their control. In fact, Hitler even used a lot of the verbiage from Martin Luther in his persecution of the Jews, an annihilation of the Jews, taking word for word from Martin Luther, was who, who was very anti-Semitic. He didn't start off that way, but he later became pretty pretty angry. And in fact, his friends said, stop saying this stuff. And he just kept saying it till the day he died. 
So the bottom line to all this, friends, yeah, the bottom line to all this is the people who are listening. Yeah, you're beating up on the Protestants and the Catholics. What we're trying to say, and I think, Bob, you'd agree, what we're trying to say here is we're trying to say, look, go back to Scripture and don't take people's behaviors as indictments on Christianity. Because if you do, neither the Protestants nor the Catholics uh, are going to come out uh, looking like Jesus in many cases. We're supposed to go back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say and live our lives according to that. With the help of the spirit, we're trying to become more and more like Jesus. And we have to admit that church history is full of sin, evil, uh, not, not just church history, but even the Bible itself, which is one of the reasons I think, Bob, I, I, I can confidently say that these people who wrote down both the Old and the New Testaments were not inventing this because it's so embarrassing. All the embarrassing things the Old Testament supposed heroes did all the embarrassing things the supposed New Testament heroes apparently did, they're not inventing this. And so we're just saying, let's get back to Scripture. Let's get back to the truth. The behavior of Christians isn't the best barometer of truth. The Scriptures are. Uh, And so whether you're Catholic or Protestant or anywhere in between or non-denominational, we're trying to say get back to the Scriptures, and that's what your book, Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions, does. Now, I, I want we 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 got to talk about this for a few minutes, Bob. You have a a a, a question or a, a chapter in your book about how the Reformation uh, really was triggered by one word. What was that word? Well, the word was you know when you had the great Erasmus, who was the great Greek scholar, and 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 we're talking about in the 15th century that the Greek was sort of lost. It was just no one spoke it. You know, it's just this weird. But there was one guy that was this incredible, brilliant guy, genius guy named Erasmus, and he he wrote a, a book, and it was called the Novum Instrumentum, which means the new instrument, where he took the Latin translation of Jerome. And they put next to it the, the correct Greek, the original Greek, which which we that's what we should follow. And he found this huge mistake within the book. And he's writing this in the Greek. It says for for the word repent, it, it, it's repent or a changing of the mind or returning of the target. You know, the repent. But in the Latin Vulgate, which was commissioned by the Catholic Church, which is still followed by the Catholic Church, the 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 word the word is metanoia in the Greek, which means repent. But in, in the Latin, he translated as do penance. In other words, you have to do things to get salvation. And it's a legal term there, which means that man reconciles. But in Scripture, it's literally a legal term that means God reconciles through our repentance and belief in Christ. So that is polar opposites, that antithetical to each other. So that's the real problem. Is one word, the Reformers saw this. In fact, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis, that was addressed early on. And he says, hey, what about this? And that's what Tyndale got upset about. That's what Huss got upset about. That's what all these reformers got upset about, is because this is saying in Scripture, we're saved by grace through faith and not by works, lest anything we do. And yet the Catholic Church is saying it's by what you do that gets you saved. You have to do things. Jesus wasn't the, 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 you know, the answer. He wasn't even the question in the Middle Ages. It was all about doing, paying, and the Church had control of the purse strings. And so the church, and the, it, it, it says in the old Catholic his, history that it's by the church that you're saved and not by anything else. Well, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ and not by any church. 
so and not you're by any sa- priest, not by Billy Graham, not by right. you, not by me. It's by Jesus that we're saved. That's so, the only way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Pretty straightforward. So are you saying then that the Latin Vulgate, which was put into place by Jerome? like Jerome uh, in the 4th century. Yeah, so uh, over a thousand years earlier, did Jerome mistranslate the word repentance to make he it made seem a, like He penance? made a wrong translation. It's repent. It's a complete opposite. And yet it's still there today. We're talking to my friend Bob Cornuke, and this we're gonna get some emails on this, Bob. <laughs> the book is called Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions. If you'd like to email us, you can. Hello at crossexamined.org. Hello at crossexamined.org. And I'm gonna get back to your questions hopefully uh, soon here, because you guys have been emailing me questions and uh, I wanted to cover some other issues on this program and uh, your questions, but in future programs, we'll get back to your questions, so keep them coming. We're talking to my friend Bob Cornuke. His book is Tradition, and we're going to be together this coming weekend out in Colorado Springs at the Spyglass Conference. Uh, All of the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. Go on down to uh, Frank Turk Calendar, and you'll see it there. So don't go away. We're back with our final segment with Bob in just two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. You are saved by grace through faith. Not by works, so that any man should boast, says Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Then he goes on to say, but we were created to do good works, but the good works don't save us. You are saved by faith alone, but your faith is not alone. It's always accompanied with good works. And by the way, this is what James says in his book, The Half-Brother of Jesus. He talks about the fact that Faith without works is dead. That's true. But it's not the works that save you. The works are the evidence that you have genuine faith. Uh, But the means of your salvation is faith. Faith saves you. Well, grace saves you, but you express your desire for grace by trusting. That's what faith means, by trusting in what Christ has done. And so what we've been talking about on this program is just trying to be as clear as possible as to how someone is saved, regardless of church traditions, whether they be on the Catholic side or the Protestant side that obscure these things that Jesus warned us so much about. He warned the Pharisees, don't nullify the word of God on account of your traditions. And what traditions have grown up around the scriptures that aren't really scriptural? That's what we've been talking about today. Now, my friend, again, is Bob Cornuke. The book is called Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions. Bob, let's take this full circle. Let's go back you talked about earlier the idea that it's been church tradition since the mother of Constantine, Helena, named Mount Sinai on the Sinai Peninsula. In fact, if you go in the back of your Bible, you'll probably see a map back there, and it says, here's Mount Sinai. Um, the real Mount Sinai, as you pointed out, as Galatians chapter 4 talks about, is in Saudi Arabia. And there are other traditions we'll get to here in a minute. But before we go any further, you had a fascinating you, a fascinating expedition into Saudi Arabia. 
There is a DVD on it called Mountain of Fire. This happened 30 years ago, uh, but it's it's an amazing documentary. But now this is going to be a movie. Tell us a little bit about the movie and when it's coming out. Yeah, well, they're going to start filming this June, and the the movie is about us getting Larry Williams and I getting arrested looking for the real Mount Sinai. We got arrested in the, in, in the desert, and um, they thought we were Jewish spies, and they threw us in a desert prison, and they were going to kill us. And um, we we uh, Larry told them that I was a doctor and not to kill us. Well, of course, all the all the the guards had you know maladies and infections and. And one guy had an infection in his eye, which was all red. So I put some Visine in it. And so, he, wow, he thought, okay, these really is a doctor. So they all the guards lined up for medicine. Well, I had, when you go to these trips, the doctors give you stuff for, you know, infection and diarrhea and sleep. So I had this, this these old sleeping pills, you know, from the old days, the old big purple things. And mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. It was probably a horse drink, tranquilizer or something. But anyway, I gave him five pills. I said, well, there's five guards. Each one of you take one. Well, they didn't understand English. So the guy just took all five pills. And then the next oh. guy, he wanted his five pills. Next guy is he. So, so they all fell asleep and I escaped with Larry across the desert being chased. And it's a wild story. And so now Hollywood's decided they want to do a movie on it. And we just have the new co-producer of the movie is going to be uh, Charles Seegers, with, who did National Treasure 1 and 2 with mm-hmm. Walt Disney. Uh, and who's going to play you? Pee Wee Herman? Pee Wee Herman, thank you. I appreciate. It. I, I'm sure he's 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 the number one contender for that. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we know? Are they going to get Mark Wahlberg? Who are they going to get? Well, we don't know, but but they're talking to several people. I hope I hope they they get the right guy, but but they are talking to several people. What do you think the name of the movie is going to be? It's going to be called Mountain of Fire. Just just it's like going to be the, Mountain of Fire. Okay, like now if you want to see a fascinating documentary, friends, get Mountain of Fire. It's in DVD. You might be able to find it on YouTube, um, but. I think we may even have it here. I don't know. We may we may even have it here at uh, Cross Examine. But just go to crossexamine.org, click on store. You might find it. Mountain of Fire. Fascinating. Okay. And I think you're right. The real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, just like the scripture says. And I think you found it based upon all the uh, evidence that you found when you were there. But we can't get into that now. What are some other... Uh, let's talk briefly Noah's Ark. It, it, doesn't the Bible say that Noah's Ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, Bob? No, it doesn't. See, the, the world says that the ark landed on, on, on Mount Ararat. It doesn't say in Scripture anywhere that it landed on Mount Ararat. It says it landed on the 17th day of the seventh month. It landed on the mountains of Ararat, plural. We need a mountainous range. Now, where's that mountainous range? It says in Genesis 11, 1 and 2 that the descendants of Noah journeyed from the east, and they settled in Shinar, which is, for all intents and purposes, Baghdad, in between the Tigris and Euphrates. So if they journeyed from the east... Um, Where'd they come from? Well, if they came from the east, they had to come from Iran. The mountains in Iran or Pakistan's probably too far. So the mountains of Iran is probably a good good candidate. And then I, I went to Iran five times, and we found out over there that there are more living traditions about the Ark being in Iran than there are in Turkey. So how did it get to be in Turkey? Well, Marco Polo went through Turkey, and I think it was the 13th century, and he was told uh, a tradition that it's there, and he wrote in saying it. I was told that it was here. He never saw it, but that became his literature became viral through all Europe. And so today, because of Marco Polo, we're looking on Mount Ararat in Turkey when we should probably expand the the the, the search down to Iran to the Zagros and Elbers Mountains, around probably around the Manet tribes in Lake Ermia, because that's where a lot of historians say that the Ark should be. So it's just ridiculous that we're not that we're so we're looking through things through a scope. Now let's just go back really quick to what we said about the reformers. The reformers had a term called ad fuentes, which means go to the source. 
just picture a spring coming out of the ground where the water is pure, crystal clear, pure. And then as it goes down the mountainside, it gets pollutants. And by the time it gets down far away, it's become muddy and all messed up. That's what's happened with church history, is that we need to go back to the source, ad fuentes, to the original intent of the authors, and then realize that things in time and distance gets messed up with man because of agenda, because of what they want to promote. And so the church gets in and starts saying, hey, this is what I feel. See, there's, there's two ways to find proof or, or truth. And then one is called premise plus proof, which is you come up with a hypothesis and you get all your people to agree with it. And it could be the wrong hypothesis. But the cops, and I'm an ex-cop, is you use problem plus possibility. What are the problems and what are the possibilities? We have a problem with purgatory, for instance, not in Scripture. And it's been modified several times. And it took the church like 1,500 years before they even said, okay, this is it. This is it. So we have a real problem with the church, even the Protestant church and the Muslims and, you know, a lot of other Mormons getting in and changing what the Bible says. And it says in Matthew 11:25, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth for those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. The childlike follow Scripture. They follow Scripture explicitly, purely. And uh, it actually, this is, a, this is this, in Matthew eleven twenty five 25, says there's literally a curse, an intellectual curse on those. He says, because thank you for hiding the truth from those that think themselves so wise and clever. We shouldn't think ourselves wise and clever from the world standpoint. We should become, we, we should become wise from what Scripture is telling us, and that's what we need to fall on. Follow the Bible as the flaming arrow of truth going through history, and uh, not from these middle-aged clerics that had an agenda. Yeah, and when you when Jesus says childlike, he doesn't mean a childlike intellect. He means a childlike heart, somebody that's going to be open and willing to follow. And yeah, obviously, it's, it's just here, like your 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 dad. You're you're going to jump off the the bunk bed, and you're, you know your dad's going to catch you. You have a childlike faith. Mm-hmm. We should have a childlike faith with God, not childish which right. is totally different, but childlike is a pure, trusting faith in God and all that he says. Okay, so when it comes to traditions, the traditions surrounding salvation are the most damaging. We, we, we've talked about some of those. You, you don't pay your way into heaven. You can't get, there's no purg- purgatory, at least scripturally there isn't. You're not going to buy somebody out of there. Um, everything is paid for by Christ. You trust in him. And you're fine. But there are some other traditions. We mentioned Mount Sinai is not in the right place, according to uh, the Bible. It's in Mount, it's in Saudi Arabia. It's not on the Sinai Peninsula. Probably Mount Ararat is not the place for the final resting place of of uh, Noah's Ark. The mountains of Ararat, which is a range. And Bob, we only got about, about a minute left. Why don't we just do one more? Why don't you tell us about the, the Paul's anchors in Malta? Uh, you and I have been on that trip. We've been to Iran together. Tell us about the Malta trip and where the real uh, the real shipwreck was uh, for Paul's shipwreck uh, from Acts twenty seven. Well, the Catholic Church again, uh, when when the, the 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 island was freed by the Normans and it was Muslim at the time, and they, the Normans came in and kicked them out, and they they said, "Hey, we got to get the boys back to Christianity." So. They just pointed to a bay and said, this is where St. Paul was. And they put a church there. It's the St. Paul's church. And so they have festivals to this day that that's St. Paul's. But if you read scripture, Paul came, uh, you know, from, from Crete in the storm, uh, 14-day storm. And it says he came up to the, you know, the, the winds would have pushed him up 
from the Serta Sands up to the southeast coast of Malta. And it says that the, the, the shipwreck occurred where two seas meet. The Greek word is tapon de salison, and there's a beach, there's a bay with a beach, and all these factors even gives the 90 feet of waters where they, they, they dropped the anchors. Right after they took the 90-foot depth, they dropped the anchors in the, into the sea and left them. So the anchors would be there to this day. Scripture says they were cut and left in the sea. Well, that's in 90 feet of water. So we, we went over to Malta, and, and you were there, and these divers in the late 60s and early 70s found four anchors from an Alexandrian grain freighter, these big lead anchor stocks. They're about 400, 500 pounds apiece made out of lead, found in a 120-foot spread pattern right where Luke says right where he says, which yep. shows that Luke is chronically accurate in all that he writes. And so that was an amazing find by those guys. And I think when you were over there, Frank, you saw it. It fits perfectly with what Scripture says. But we, then again, tradition takes us away to where the Catholic Church says in the north part of the island, and they've never found anything there. Well, Bob, it's always a pleasure having you on. Um, and the new book people need to get, it's called Tradition, Exploring the Roots of Church Traditions. And Bob, tell people your website if they want to learn more about you. Uh, Base Institute, B-A-S-E Institute, if they want to get to our website. If you want to get some of this product, just khouse.org is carrying our stuff. Letter K, house.org. Just, uh, and, and, and they have all this stuff that you can get. khouse.org. And also check out Base Institute. It's .org, right, Bob? Right. Baseinstitute.org. Amazing stuff, fun stuff, interesting stuff. And it goes back to Scripture, friends. That's what we got to do. We got to go back to Scripture to see what these, what, what the real truth is instead of men's traditions. want to remind you, I'm going to be at the University of Maryland at Baltimore this Monday night, Towson University Tuesday night. If you can't get there, you can watch streaming live on our website. Then next week, I'll be with Bob Cornuke and many others out in Colorado Springs. And then next weekend, I'll be here in Charlotte with my friend Ellie Shukran, whom I met through Bob Cornuk, and we're going to do something here in Charlotte. He is the Jewish archaeologist, and there's more on our website. See you here next week. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 